You're listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts, while the Lakers have two. Bryant, to shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life! Jordan. Oh, a spectacular by Michael Jordan! And now, your host. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Hey listeners, welcome back. Thanks for tuning in. We have a treat of an episode for you this week, focused on the always enigmatic and tumultuous Sacramento Kings. Our guest today is Morgan Reagan, host of the Deuce and Mo podcast, a contributor to kings.com, and a reporter for Good Day Sacramento. In addition to all of that, she has had a storied basketball career spanning her entire life, including four years of high school varsity decorated with both individual accolades and a league championship, then continuing her play in college and in the San Francisco Pro-Am League. Her most heroic basketball moment may have come in a high school game when she was able to overcome both a 104-degree fever and a dislocated shoulder to hit a game-winning shot for her team. Hey, Morgan, it's great to have you on. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you guys for having me. This season, the Sacramento Kings unveiled their new arena, the Golden One Center. I know you did a Facebook Live tour right about when it opened in October. What would you just say is the maybe the most underrated part of the new arena, your favorite part maybe, or something that's gone unheralded about it? See, now that's a great question because I have, I feel like I have a lot of knowledge now of everything that goes on and all the little perks to this place. So don't laugh at me when I say that this is actually one of my favorite things. The living wall outside. So it's just so environmentally friendly and it's just a whole bunch of plants basically on the outside. And you know how hot it gets in Sacramento during the winter or I'm sorry, during the summer. It like it basically soaks up a lot of the heat. So it's just not the sun isn't just beating down on the arena. And yes, I know that is such a weird feature. So I'm going to also say the Sierra Nevada Draft House and how cool that's been for people to just buy cheap tickets and then go grab a beer and watch a game from up there. Moving on to more on the court topics, when people usually talk about the Kings, obviously a big part of the conversation is going to be about DeMarcus Cousins. There always seems to be sort of this never-ending debate about what the Kings should do with that situation because... On one hand, he seems to be constantly plaguing the team with personality issues on and off the court, having public disagreements with everyone. <laughs> but on the other hand, he's still a dominant player, arguably the best center in the league. What's your opinion on how that situation should be handled? You don't think the Kings can <sighs> trade him, right? This has been obviously an ongoing situation for a while now, and I remember even two years ago, I think this was right after Malone. And I remember feeling with cousins. I was just like, gosh, you guys, we, you know, the Kings cannot keep him around like his personality issues and everything. But then he would just have this amazing move and his footwork was just like looking at a piece of art. And then my mind would just flip. And I was like, Nope, Nope. He's so good. Got to keep him. You got to keep him. And now going forward, looking at this, it's one of those things where I really thought that he was going to grow and improve, whether it was for whatever coaches 
the Sacramento Kings have had, or just for himself, or maybe because veterans around him were going to help him even with his character or his personality on the court. And the thing is, we haven't seen it improve that much. And my thing with DeMarcus is his numbers, amazing, phenomenal. His game on the court, amazing, phenomenal. But is it translating into wins? And isn't that what being in the NBA is all about? Yeah, it's it's such a difficult situation. You know him. You played Django with him, I saw. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You've been around him and, and the team for a while. It's frustrating how he gets a new coach every season. It's hard to show growth that way. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But um, basically, the thing with him is he plays with this edge about him. And some people would say that's what makes him great. A lot of people would also say that it's a distraction. It, um, mm-hmm. it doesn't foster a good environment around the team. I believe personally that he's taken some strides to show him some improvement in that area. But still, he's constantly griping about calls. Do you think his histrionics hamper the play of those around him? Or is it is it just something that people just have to get used to and something that they can win if they just build the team properly around him from a personnel standpoint? And that's a great question because it's like, we've seen both sides, I feel like now, because we haven't seen, in in some ways, people will argue, you know, well, look at the pieces that have been around him for so many years. Well, last year, weren't you looking at the pieces around him? And, you know, everyone was excited about Rajon Rondo and, you know, his, he led the NBA in assists and everyone was such a numbers, a stats person when they were looking at these things, a Rudy Gay, who, you know, was obviously does a lot in the NBA, obviously not in uh, Toronto, but he's added to a lot of teams. And then Darren Collison, even as a point guard, I know we would talk about him being better as a backup point guard coming off the bench. And that's why adding Rondo, everyone thought that last year's pieces around DeMarcus were the pieces to go to the playoffs, to be that team. I don't think the pieces around him is necessarily the problem anymore. I think we look at DeMarcus and if he was on a different team and he wasn't the guy, I think he would own every single team in the NBA. I think if the guy was a little bit better than him, I think he would be even better than he is now. And all of his numbers would actually translate into W's because with the Sacramento Kings, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the culture that he's just used to, that he can do a lot of things, whatever he wants. And he can, I mean, he gets away with a lot of stuff. He can do a lot of stuff that he wants to do because he's DeMarcus Cousins. He's the best player on the team. He's the one producing the most points, the most rebounds, the most everything. So I think if he wasn't that guy and he didn't have that power, he would be even better than he is somewhere else, if that makes sense. No, that definitely makes sense. And more about the team building aspect of it. There's been so many recent first round draft picks that haven't worked out. Guys like Nick Stauskas or Thomas Robinson, (laughs) to use a more extreme example, that didn't last very long with the team. And then now it seems like the team is kind of giving up on Willie Cauley-Stein a little bit. Jaeger is, Mm -hmm. is not giving him too many minutes. And he was the number six pick in 2015. First, just talking about Willie Cauley-Stein in particular, do you think that he's going to get another chance to improve? He, even his rebounding <sighs> rate is just terrible for a guy like him. 
I know. And is it's so sad because once again, I want to use the excuse like, well, maybe this system doesn't work for him. And maybe it's just not, it doesn't work for him. It's like, okay, well, every, the system that's played in Sacramento, it can't be the system's fault, you know, on every single player. But with Willie Cauley-Stein, you look at him in George Carl's system when he was actually playing, when there wasn't that drama, there was something about that scrappy, fast-paced offense that really worked for him. Like it really, I think that's what we saw come out of Willie Cauley Stein. So now this year, you know, not seeing it so fast paced and scrappy and, and seeing him get the ball 10 feet out and have to, you know, almost do a little post move or something. He doesn't have that in him offensively at his confidence level too. I don't know if you guys have noticed like his confidence level when he, gra- when he gets the ball, it's like, Oh crap. Oh crap. You know, he's not, he he doesn't uh, look to attack. He's not much of a threat. So I don't know, once again, if for sure the answer is, it's because he's here and and sure. Dave Yeager isn't giving him a chance. I, I don't, I mean, we can talk, I know we're going to talk about Dave Yeager's future, I'm sure, just him being a coach here uh, in Sacramento. And it's like, well, what would you rather have? Would you rather have Dave Yeager's system become the new thing? and have all the guys follow it? Or would you all of a sudden rather just like uh, work on Willie Cauley-Stein and give him what works for him, you know? I know also just more on the draft picks that they had Jeff Petrie, then Pete D'Alessandro, um, now Vladi Divac is running things. And then also just seemingly a new coach every year at least. And that's difficult. Do you think that it's an organizational problem though at this point, just how they're scouting and making decisions? We had that infamous... Nick Stauskas or Alfred Payton <laughs> moment with Vivek in 2014 yeah. and probably it should have been Alfred Payton but I don't know how do they improve going forward with the decision making and it's it's got to be a combination of both right that it, it's the fit but also the players that they're selecting I it told it has to be because you look at when uh, Ben McAmore was drafted Kings had Michael Malone here. They had Chris Gent here. I don't remember what year exactly this was, but they had Chris Gent who worked on LeBron James jump shot earlier in his career and helped LeBron become a better shooter. They were having him work on Ben McElmore's shot. And it was really cool seeing Ben develop with Chris Gent really helping him. And that whole thing is like, okay, so he's going to, you know, come into form and really work into the system. I think the Kings not having just one system consistently for so long now um, has really hurt them. But I also think them not having a system is them not having an identity. So then when they do draft these guys, it's a little scramble of everything. It's like, oh, there's a little mixture of a, a Nick Stauskas and then, uh, you know, Willie Kleistein. You, you don't see a lot of similarities in all these guys. Or you could say the similarity is they don't work out here and then they develop somewhere else, but that's very negative. So, you know, I don't know what the answer is going forward. Like, what do they, what do they change in the front office? Or, you know, do they need to just pick better? I think it's about them finding their identity. And if that's with Dave Yeager as well, then so be it. Use that going forward. Another issue that's plagued the Kings for a long time is their defense. As of Monday afternoon, the Kings ranked 23rd in defensive efficiency. They seem to not be doing very well on that end. What do you think the problem is there? (laughs) Problem or problems? Uh, Let's see. 
it came down to something as simple as uh, I remember in the beginning of the season, or I guess a few games into the season, I was like, the fundamentals, you know, of them running over to the baseline and using the baseline as a third defender and getting their foot on it to keeping their hands up and deflecting the ball. Well, they started doing some of those things. So then I look even more and more into it. I'm like, then why can every team score on them and dominate them? I don't necessarily think it's one problem in I think it also has to go to the offensive side. When you have someone in like a Garrett Temple who is a great defender and then you go to the offensive side and he's not shooting well that night, I mean, it's going to really, it's four on five. Or let's say you have Garrett Temple and Matt Barnes in. Two together, I love watching them play defense together. Those two work hard on the backcourt or whoever they may be playing at that time. And they're always having their hands up the fundamentals it's just like watching art, like them on defense. I love it. But then you go to the offensive side and Matt Barnes is either, you know, hot or cold. It just depends on the night for him. So it's like, if you can't play on both sides of the ball every single night, well, yeah, then you're obviously not going to win games. And defensively, that's why when they have to leave in some of the other guys, or even when Dave Yeager went small, that that game with the uh, was it Aflalo and Collison or Lawson and Collison? I forget which two were in the backcourt. I think it was against Toronto. And these guys are having to work so much harder. And I feel like you don't, you don't see that with a lot of NBA teams. I feel like a lot of NBA teams have the answer. And I feel like with the Sacramento Kings, they don't necessarily have the right answer with this roster. Do you think part of the issue might be Willie Cauley-Stein being relied upon when they drafted him? to be that that inside presence shot blocking and he mm. hasn't worked out. Yeah, you know, I think that they don't have the ultimate rim protector. You know, and I think that's what they did want out of Willie Cauley Stein a lot of it, especially such an athletic player, but sometimes his decision making even defensively it's like, you know, why why is your timing so off? Like you've been playing the game for so long, you know, it's not like you were a freshman in college and then got drafted. So yeah, I think, I think that's a huge problem them having Willie Collie sign. And then you go to even a uh, Costa Kufis who I think he's, he's such an awesome guy off the court. And it's like, I know he's one of the hardest workers and that is why he really is in this league. But even for such a big guy, it's like, he needs to produce more, even being a presence in the key defensively. And, you know, you're not getting that from anyone. Then sometimes you get that from obviously DeMarcus, but the big fella, he plays great defense when he's trying hard. And I've seen him try harder this season. I feel like the most out of all the seasons, like we've seen him, you know, play on the offensive end and then barely get back on defense. I feel like this season he's been doing a way better job at getting back, but he's also producing so much on the offensive end that he's getting tired out on the defensive end. So yeah, going back to Willie Cauley-Stein though, I'm, yes, I'm sure that they wish that he was producing more even as a shot blocker. We could probably talk about the defensive struggles forever, but (laughs) aside from those, what do you think the biggest elements are missing for the Kings to make the playoffs? Do you see any reasonable shot of them ending that 10-year drought? No, no. And that's been the way I've looked at it, even from the beginning of the season. And you you look at everything being new again each and every year. Let's go to the Cavs. When something was new for them that year, they had LeBron freaking James 
come on their team. And of course, you're going to think playoffs automatically. With the Sacramento Kings, okay, so you had Dave Yeager. Okay, so you had Aflalo, who is now even his shooting numbers keep going down. There was not one guy where it's like, yeah, it's playoffs this season. Uh, Now the Kings are going to make it. There's not one thing that made me believe that. So I even look at the season right now and they're on track to 29 wins. And we've seen that before. So there's a lot of changes that are going to need to be made. And we say this every year. Yeah, they've had some really big wins. I think namely the two against the Raptors. They've stayed close in, in a lot of other games against really quality opponents but just haven't found a way to win. Dave Yeager, he, like you said, he was given a four-year deal, but uh, these coaches are not hanging around in Sacramento very long. I was disheartened. I know a lot of other people were when Mike Malone was not given the chance to just develop. Him and Cousins got along well. Do you think that Yeager has a shot here for them to just give him some patience to build some semblance of security? Oddly enough, I know I shouldn't say this, but I do. <laughs> I do because I don't know if you've noticed this. How many times have we had to bash on Dave Yeager this season? Not not as much as we have in the past with, you know, George Carl. And even with Michael Malone, like as much as I love him, it's like, you know, everyone was weary about him because he was such a new coach and everything too, a new head coach. But with, with Dave Yeager... There a lot of people, there's not a lot of bad things to say about him right now. And I think it's also because, you know, we're not hearing any fights between him and DeMarcus. So people are satisfied with that, which is sad. Like people were like, okay, we can settle for that. We're good with that. And we're not, we're not mad at him. You know, he doesn't have some of the right pieces on defense and he is that defensive mind that we like. So that's why I do see Dave Yeager actually coaching out his contract or, you know, hopefully longer, but I do see that as one of the more positive things here in Sacramento. Dave Yeager obviously employs a lot slower pace. And you mentioned that in reference to Willie Cauley-Stein, how that might be hurting his game and his confidence a little bit. Interestingly enough, the Kings actually ranked first in overall pace last year. They had Rondo pushing it in transition. Now they're in the bottom third. Do you see it? their pace as affecting their play or as long as it fits what the coach wants to do, then that's fine. And that their issues are much larger than that. I think their issues are much larger than that because even you look at last year, what they had a few more wins and they're putting up, you just talked about the pace and even the amount of points that they are putting up per game and everything offensively. It's like, sure. But how sexy are those numbers? All numbers are sexy when they're high up there, even with Rondo and his assist numbers. It's all sexy, but ultimately it's it's all about that W. And the fact is they weren't getting tons of wins last year. Yes, they got more. Yes, they did. But I mean, still, that wasn't a great record. And you look at this year, it's like they're pretty much going to be possibly get the same amount of wins that they've been getting the last few years. They need to keep one system and stay consistent with it, you know? And that's why, like, if Dave Yeager was just fired after this year, guess what? They start a new system with this same roster. It's going to be the, it doesn't matter who the coach is. It's just, it's going to be the same thing. 
when I say it doesn't matter who the coach is, I am curious though, if it was like, obviously it would, this would never happen, but you know, if even a Greg Popovich could turn around a team like this, I don't even think Greg Popovich could in a year, you know, like give him two, boom, his team's doing something different though. <laughs> Continuing with the talk of putting up possibly empty big numbers that look sexy on paper, but may not contribute to a winning team. Rudy Gay, he signed a three-year extension a few years ago, but he can opt out after this season. He provides a lot of consistent scoring. He's averaged mm-hmm. around 20 points per game every season of his career, but he's only made the playoffs once and has never won a playoff series in his 11th season. <laughs> the Kings are not winning. He has a two-year-old son, maybe wants some stability. Do you think he should want to stick around, and do you think the team should want him to stay there? I think the team should want him to stay here, but I do not think he should stick around. I think he still has some years left on him. You know, you look back, just like you said, he made the playoffs, but like, you know, how much has he actually won and everything too? Yeah, that's what, I mean, that's what we give DeMarcus Cousins so much backlash for, you know, not being on a winning team. And Rudy Gay, you know, you look at him and it's not like he's been on every winning team either, but him opting out this season or opting out next season, it doesn't even make me angry or anything. And I think he's doing the right thing for his career because he's given Sacramento the chance. He's given them a chance and, you know, look what's come out of it. And I don't, and obviously this is allegedly, you know, George Carl put in his book that when he came to Sacramento, Rudy Gay said, welcome to basketball hell. And if that's the case and that's how he even felt then, you know, I'm sure there's been a lot of other stuff that we don't even know about. And he probably wants the change of culture, the change of atmosphere, maybe even the change of teammates. Who knows exactly? But the thing is, I personally, I know a lot of people are like, don't want the Kings to just trade him because they feel like they won't trade him for the right pieces. But then you're just going to let this piece walk away that you could have gotten pieces back for. This season, I know I said this in the beginning of the podcast, like, I do not see this team going to the playoffs. And I think that's ultimately pretty fair to say from what we've seen. So that's why if you can get pieces for Rudy Gay before he just walks, that's what I feel like the Kings should do. Just switching gears really fast right now. Do you know what's going on this season with Omri Caspi? Supposedly, he hasn't even talked to Dave Yeager since the beginning of the season. And he's somehow landed in the doghouse. Do you know what's going on there and also what his future is with the Kings, if there is one? Yeah, I don't, you know, I, I don't know exactly. With all that happening, I just figured it was a lot of Dave Yeager trying to kind of figure out what he wanted, what he wanted his system to be, what he wanted his main players to be. And he took Omri Caspi out of that, out of the system, out of the rotation. I wasn't sure why. And I was thinking maybe because, you know, Omri plays sporadic. And think about it. Dave Yeager also took out Willie Cauley-Stein out of the rotation. And I feel like Willie Cauley-Stein can sometimes play very sporadic. And I wonder if that's something that Dave Yeager really doesn't like. But at the same time, what those two can bring, especially Omri Caspi, is the energy. And that's, you know, his just being on that roster, being on that team, even being on the bench sometimes, his energy can be so much more. And um, I think he can contribute to any NBA team, even if it was just that. But with the Sacramento Kings, I remember when Dave Yeager started sitting him and he wasn't playing at all. I was very confused because I feel like Omer Caspi has so much more to add, even in a 
three minutes of playing time. So yeah, I don't know what happened exactly with that. And I'm sure now, since we're seeing Omri play a little bit more, that they've maybe talked it out or talked talked it up a little bit more. Right. It was just like really interesting situation to me with Caspi being such a intriguing player in previous seasons. As you said, a little bit inconsistent at times, which maybe Jaeger wanted to get under control, but obviously someone who usually can bring something positive to a team. Just returning to DeMarcus Cousins again, last season he started taking threes more consistently. This season it's he's taken it even further, taking his attempts to almost five per game, joining in on the three-point revolution that's sweeping the NBA <laughs> right now. And he's hitting, he's hitting better than 38%, just adding that facet to his game. As an opposing team, how do you game plan for that with Cousins being able to beat you both from the outside, especially hitting the trailer threes on fast breaks and also being such a dominant post presence. And sadly, the answer to that is get in his head. Screw with him because guess what? That's going to throw off his three-pointer. That's going to throw off his inside game. That's going to throw off his game. If you can get him, take him out of the game mentally, which we've seen so many teams do, yeah, do that. But okay, let's say some teams want to play a fair. And, or I call it a fair and want to actually play him, uh, you know, just some good old fashioned defense on him. Well, you just depends on who your big guy is and how far he can come out because DeMarcus Cousins, yeah, his three point shot right now, I think you're right. He has like the highest three point percentage um, on the Kings roster. So he's definitely a threat out there, which is great for the Kings. But I don't know if you've noticed the last few games, sometimes late in game, Like there was against the Celtics, Al Horford came on him and, you know, it was just that last three pointer he checked up, thought he got fouled. His decision making on some of his uh, last minute threes have been really bad, really bad. And I think as a team defensively, you just look at that and say, okay, at the end of games, just get up on him. He's going to try and chuck up a three because he thinks, you know, he's the go to guy and he has to make the shot when really, that's why you sign people like a flaw. That's why you even have, you know, other people, Rudy Gay, whoever it may be else that's on the floor. But yeah, defensively, hey, any team just get in his head and he's done for. Doesn't matter from outside or inside, he's done. This offseason, the Kings brought on Ty Lawson as sort of a stopgap solution, I guess, to bridge the gap while Darren Collison was suspended for eight games in the beginning of the season for domestic violence. He turned out pretty solid for him, at least. But now that Collison's back, he's been producing as well and taken back his starting spot. Do you still see Collison as the long-term starting point guard for the Kings? Or how do you see that uh, dynamic shaking out? Well, I don't see, in no offense to Ty Lawson, and sure, he's been doing some things here and there, more so with, you know, having Darren Collison back and everything too. I don't trust Ty Lawson. I don't trust, I think his, his confidence, you know, goes up and down and it's, I don't trust him. So then with Darren Collison, if this team, if the Sacramento Kings kept Darren Collison, the thing is they are a great team. Sorry, they're not a great team. They're a good team. If they have Darren Collison being their backup point guard, Darren Collison coming off the bench is pretty damn good. And if they had an NBA caliber starting point guard 
ahead of Darren Collison. I don't know who that is right now. Like, oh, hey, this is what contract they can get. This is what player they can get. I don't know who that is. But if they have that person ahead of Darren Collison long-term and Darren Collison long-term is their backup point guard, they, they would be a good team. I completely agree with you about Darren Collison. I know the Clippers and Kings are totally different teams, but Collison against opposing second units was so good in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And now he just, it was a natural progression. He wanted the money. He wanted to prove he could be a starter. I guess the jury's still out. I agree with you that he doesn't seem like he's starter quality. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it is that's missing. I, it's just, you know, just I think since seeing him come off the bench, like you're saying, producing in L.A. and everything, but even even last year with Rondo starting, it's like Rondo wasn't the right point guard to have as your starting point guard, though. Like, I'm not saying I, I'm glad that he started over Collison, but I'm saying to be a good team, like you just look at the pieces in the system last year and Darren Collison sure came off the bench sometimes, but it's still it didn't that wasn't the right roster to do that with. The last thing that I wanted to ask you as we wind down, it's been really great having you on. It's about Matt Barnes. It's kind of a paradox. He's like a a tough, gritty guy that you want on your team, kind of, but he also causes a lot of problems. We had that incident in New York City involving him and DeMarcus Sunday night. And just tell us a little bit about the paradox of having a guy like Barnes on your team, if you can. How do you think about that situation? it's funny because before the season started and before Barnes was even on this team, I was like, I, I do not want that guy. I don't want that guy. He's, you know, he's going to be trouble. I don't care if he's a vet and he can do certain things. I don't want him. Then he got on the team. I was like, all right, I'm just going to accept this and see what he can do. Deuce and I were lucky enough to interview him. And it was just like two on one with Matt Barnes. And it was really cool talking to him because, you know, his point is like, people get to see me for two hours play on the basketball court or hear some stories in, you know, TM on TMZ or wherever it may be. And they think that's me ultimately, but it's not. But the thing about Matt Barnes is that it's true. That's what everyone's going to think. Ultimately, that's what happens when you're in the limelight and you know, what we just saw happen or allegedly happen in New York city. It's like, people are going to throw away right now that you're this, dad of the year or whatever, all the good things or a great teammate or a leader on this team because of all these little actions, all these stupid little things that happen off the court, whether it was Derek Fisher or the, the uh, New York city thing, even, even if nothing comes out of the whole New York city little fight that happened and Matt Barnes ends up being innocent. It's a fact. It just, it makes me so angry that, in some way, shape, or form, he puts himself in that situation. And it's like someone said today to me, it's like, he's 36 years old and he has to go out and party late after game. I understand that's the culture. But at the same time, when you reach that in the NBA at a certain age and say, you know, no, I'm like, I'm going to bed. My body needs it. Or like, hey, bad news always follows me. So I'm cool now. Like I learned my lesson when I was 29 and still partying and so I don't know like it's really hard because I actually started really liking Matt Barnes and really respecting his hustle and his defense and things he was doing on the court and then these little things just like they they all they almost hurt it's like it's like oh I just started trusting you man yeah so 
It's so sad because it's hard to so difficult in the NBA to undo a reputation when you get one. Like when there's a yeah toss up call, is it going to be a flagrant or a technical? And it's Matt Barnes or Lance Stevenson or something. They yep. are never going to get the benefit of the doubt. Right. That's exactly, and that's exactly it. And that's why Matt Barnes, like you're right, there was like some some plays in, earlier in the season where he was, you know found someone hard on a layup and they had to review it to see if it was a flagrant one or, you know, or just a regular foul. And they ended up making it a flagrant one when really, if that was anyone else that night, it would have just been uh, just a regular foul. If it was Jamal Crawford, the referee would say, sorry, never mind. We'll take away the foul. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But yeah. Right. We really, really appreciate having you on. So entertaining. There's so many storylines around the Kings. I know. I know. It's a, it's, hey, it's a crazy time right now. And I seriously, I appreciate you guys having me on today. I guess that's good for business for you that there's all these <laughs> things to talk about. Oh, so many, so many great things. And hopefully one day it will be good for business talking about the awesome product that's going to be on, on the floor in Sacramento, right? That's true. When Cousins, when, I'm saying when, not if, when he's able to okay. turn around ending on an optimistic tone. It's just going to be such a great story of how everyone doubted him, including me. And he proved and, me Yep, and including me. Well, I, I like your positivity, and I hope that's how the storyline turns out. <laughs>